we, who had thought ourselves as the holy people of God, after all, our Declaration of Independence says, with the firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we thought of ourselves as well-intentioned, hard-working, generous people. We were viciously and efficiently violated by other people who thought they had every moral imperative to do so. In the wake of that horrible day 15 years ago, many people asked themselves if this horror was a manifestation of the will of God towards this nation. And many people wondered how, if 9-11 were not the plan of God, could it be the will of God? How could God allow this for God's people? Well, it was clear that we were part of a long-term rift, an unreconciled abyss between ourselves and the attackers. But we were also faced, as were the Israelites, with the presence of violence in our relationship with God. The Israelites had come out of Egypt, led by God, fed by God, protected by God, until they came to Sinai. And at Sinai, Moses disappeared in the fog surrounding the mountaintop for 40 days and was not seen or heard from. At that time, the Israelites didn't know what to make of that. They needed a symbol, a divinity, something, a leader. So they took the gold intended for the tabernacle and made this golden calf and worshipped it. God saw the people worshipping this golden calf God was deeply affronted, if we are to believe the words we heard this morning. God says, I will burn them with my wrath. Who is this God who wants to burn the entire nation of Israel? And more importantly, how is this God related to the God in the Gospel of Luke who is glad when the hundredth sheep is found? This wrathful, punitive God is hinted at but not heard from in Psalm 51, which we have read, the psalmist, David, you remember him, King David, has heard the condemnation of his prophet Nathan because he has taken Bathsheba into his bed, begotten a son on her, and murdered her husband. David has suffered the wrath of God as a consequence. The child of that union died. His son Absalom, O oh Absalom, O oh Absalom, has risen against him and has been killed in the ensuing action. And his son Adonijah has revolted against him. Nathan reaches David, however, amidst all that bloodshed, and David sings the psalm of repentance. Hot-tempered, jealous, retributive, determined to prevail, this is the picture of God in these readings. God tells Moses that Moses may forgive the Israelites, but God will punish them, which God accomplished by delivering a plague. As for David, he died a sad old man, surrounded by the specters of all those dead sons, except, of course, for Solomon. With this picture of God before us, I put it to you that there is no wonder that there has been a rise in violence here in the past 15 years. We are, after all, made in the image and likeness of that God. I have always asserted to you that we are co-evolving with God, 
There are even theologians who believe that God is evolving God's self away from violent retribution, away from that primitive urge to kill whatever hurts you with us. If these stories are about the ways in which God's nature has contained violence, they are also about the ways in which God has been touched by human suffering. Moses' response to God's wrath is to remind God that these Israelites belong to God. They've been following God for all this time. Moses goes on to say, moreover, that God's reputation is at stake here. He can't possibly kill these Israelites. What will the Egyptians say? And he gets to God's honor. He says, you promised Abraham, you know. You promised Abraham and Isaac that their descendants would multiply and fill the earth. How can you go back on your honor? Hearing Moses, God relented. God repented. The book of Exodus reveals God to be vulnerable to the suffering of God's people, even stiff-necked people who have abandoned God. And as for David, the psalmist, it is true that he was a sad and lonely man when he died, but he also knew that his son Solomon would rule after him in keeping with that prophecy he had heard from Nathan when he was just a shepherd with a slingshot. Psalm 51 is a gorgeous poem of repentance. And you know, David is seen in history as a, a righteous, admirable king, largely because he composed these psalms. David did terrible things. But he was not afraid to appeal directly to God, to engage with God, to touch the heart of God, because God had also done terrible things. These stories are the foundational stories of how God is evolving with us, about how God is sovereign, for sure, but how God also listens and adjusts. It's easy to see Israel's infidelity and David's sins. It's harder to see our contribution to 9-11. We are most of us so far away from the policymakers and the deal brokers that we are tempted to exonerate ourselves. But the gospel has something to say about that. In contrast to the picture of infidelity and violent retribution in the Old Testament, in the gospel we have this romantic story of the shepherd searching for the lost sheep and the widow sweeping for her missing coin. These stories are set in the context of the criticism of the Pharisees and tax collectors that Jesus is eating with sinners. That is, Jesus is guilty of treating sinners like friends, and in fact, like friends of God. Jesus came into the world at a time when the world was much like that world of the ancient Israelites, full of warring nations and multitudes of starving, dispossessed, enslaved people. He did not bring plague upon the Pharisees as God had done with the Israelites. He did not drown the Romans as God had done with the Egyptians. He ate with sinners. He touched lepers. He worked on the Sabbath. Jesus came into the world to say, this time, this time God will not punish the world for its gross infidelity and its graceless arrogance. This time, God will come very close and offer friendship to everyone. 
The message of Jesus is that each relationship, each meal, each sheep, each coin is full of the possibility of grace. The life of Jesus was a message for all times that the way to stop the drive toward death the world is so fond of is to eat with sinners, feed people, heal people who are sick, and sit with the lonely and anguished. This is not a top-down solution. This is definitely a bottom-up movement. We can't be right with God if we are wrong with each other. I don't think that there are any satisfying answers to the question of what God was doing during 9-11, but there are plenty of signs that we were out of relationship with each other in this country and certainly in the world. Reconciliation, on the other hand, as a private practice and as a practice of this community, touches the heart of God and will touch the heart of God again. If you believe these stories that you hear in Scripture, touching the heart of God always allows God to intervene in the world in wonderful ways. I would say that reconciliation is the only effective way to transform the impulse to violence. The church has a wonderful model for reconciliation. We practice it in the liturgy. We seek it in a deeper way in our seasons of Advent and Lent. We know how to talk about it and how to do it. We can offer the world a place and a way to reconcile with each other in itself. There are such passionate people in this congregation, such deep thinkers, such willing hearts. The good news in these scriptures is that God will hear these people and will act with them to heal the world. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.